and welcome to the J-Rod Sports Pod with me, James Robson. And me, Ollie Dix. So today, Ollie and I are going to be taking a look back at some of the biggest news and headlines from around the world of sport over the weekend, including the Champions League final, the Europa League final, and the NBA playoffs, which have really been kicking up into the next gear over the weekend. So let's jump straight into the conversation that we're having about sports this weekend. Right, so Ollie, let's start with uh, the Champions League final then. And I think a game that no one was really expecting. Everyone was expecting this sort of high-powered, high-scoring um, goal fest. And didn't really happen, did it? No, yeah. I think we were probably surprised about like two things. I'd say the first thing that we were surprised about were how organised PSG were in the first half of very quickly getting into their shape and it being like not much space between the defence and midfield like to for for Bayern to exploit. And then I don't know, did we forget that Manuel Neuer was that good? <laughs> like I mean, it's I just think, a, a hard he... thing, but he showed us that if we had forgotten that he definitely is incredible. I think I think it's not that he's forgotten. I think it's he just wasn't necessarily needed yeah. until now. Yeah. And then PSG tested him a couple of times. But, I mean, what I was I was impressed by is that uh, after the semi-final with Barca, we all thought that Bayern looked really shaky at the back. Yeah. And PSG were creating chances, but not easily. No, the way in which we saw Barca exploit Bayern like down especially down that that Bayern's right hand side with Kimmich like we saw Messi like get in there so much and we just thought that actually with Mbappe's speed that he would exploit that so much more and we didn't really see that really come to fruition and and it ended up being like more like through the middle at times when Mbappe and Neymar linked up as to when PSG had their chances and they did have chances like in that first half, which was a lot more cagey than we thought it was going to be, like they, I think they should have scored at least once, um, but obviously not to be, and ended up being a performance where Bayern just slowly, it just kept the like kept going, you know, like sometimes we see teams like after sixty minutes of being unable to break through then they start to just like go off in other directions but Bayern just seem to do the same thing over and over and at some point the opposition's going to get tired and break down and that's what PSG did yeah I think it was a I'm not sure whether I think it was cagey I just think it was less uh, less of an attacking game than we expected it to be it was more like actually both teams defended quite well yeah I suppose like I just we've seen Bayern go forward so well in the past few games and they just didn't ever really look like that same Bayern until like maybe the last 25 minutes of the game 20 minutes yeah it was quite funny our housemate Gemma walked in halfway halfway through the second half yeah. and was like they're being paid how much and they can't even score more than <laughs> one goal especially when you're like you got PSG's front three which is worth 350 million pounds yeah um I mean, obviously, that photo of Manuel Neuer after he, I can't remember who it was, it 
Mbappe. Mbappe that he saved against towards the end when yeah. it sort of looked like it, you, you shall not pass sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, still, I would have expected, I would have expected at least a, another goal to come from somewhere. Uh, now there, there is the the sort of future look of the Champions League to talk about as well because th- this single leg system obviously is in place for the final, but. I mean, I th- UEFA are talking about making this the case for all the knockout stages, and I think that would be a good, a good way of doing it. The question is how you'd, where you'd place the games, whether you'd place them at home stadiums or whether you'd make fans travel abroad. I mean, my suggest, my not suggestion, but my thinking is that you know, you could UEFA could use it as an opportunity to tour Champions League football and Europa League football round to places that potentially don't often get that high calibre of football. Yeah, no. I I think it's a very, very good idea to exploit and I think that that's the way they should do it. The only question, like, I, I, I suppose I pose to you and I use Barca as an example, we've seen them be so dominant at the new Camp that actually then teams we've experienced like teams go to Barca struggle 2-3-0 down and then we've seen Roma go back to Roma stadium this spectacle of the atmosphere that's there and end up winning and beating Barca and knocking Barca out and then Liverpool do the same at Anfield and obviously like being a Liverpool fan you're biased and all like that but I there's something special about European nights in certain stadiums and I think you potentially lose that opportunity of like those spectacles um, if that was the direction that you decided to go in. What I would say is that I think if they decide to do say like quarterfinals, semifinals, final all within a 10 day block at the end of like all like the seasons, then I think that's the way to go down the route of like all the games being played. I don't think I don't think they'll do that. Somewhere. I don't think they'll do that. I think they might. Uh, they'll want to keep it sort of going through the season. What they could potentially do as well is is make it kind of like the FA Cup, where you just have a completely random draw, and if you're uh, if you draw the new Camp, tough luck. What like so like home and away. Yeah. Like, once you get through like after what after the group stages when do you bring in this? yeah after the group stages so like the round of 32 is almost complete random it yeah. doesn't matter almost where you finish in your group stage or do you draw Ooh. the team that finishes first versus a team that finishes second yeah and you just keep doing that and then what the team that finishes first well, isn't the draw always... random anyways at the moment no, it still comes out of a hat because you have first place teams versus second place teams. Well, then I think you do that. Then you do like first place teams are all at home, second place teams so are all. So you almost get a, a what we would call in American football, like a or all sports, all American sports, you get a home field advantage yeah. throughout it. If it's a draw, does it go to extra time like we see, or do you have like an an away leg like you? No, I like think you FA make Cup, it. You get a replay. Uh, no, I think you scrap. You just have it single leg. Yeah, um, I think it would be a really, it would be a really, really good way uh, to get the football 
exciting because this football has been really exciting uh, in both the Champions League and the Europa League. But then let's move on to the Europa League then because Sevilla beat Inter Milan 3-2. Probably a result that I I definitely wasn't expecting. I was expecting Inter Milan to kind of demonstrate a bit of class here. Lukaku put them up five minutes in and then uh, De Jong levelled up for Sevilla Two two very very good headers. Yeah, from yeah. Luke, Luke De Jong, twelfth and thirty third minute, and then in the thirty fifth minute, Godin scored for Inter Milan, and then it just kind of went a bit flat for a bit. Yeah, I would say that. I think we then started to see why Sevilla. I, I want to say six have won this competition six times. Yeah, and, I think this is the sixth one, and I think perhaps we we might have got carried away about of like Inter Milan being a team coming down from the Champions League and you expect that there to be a difference in quality. What I would say for Sevilla fans is actually it's almost bad news that you qualify for the Champions League <laughs> by winning the Europa League. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> you now got to go and play harder teams. I think though it was De Jong didn't start the previous game and I think everyone was surprised that he started. He then repaid his manager's faith in in two very, very good goals. The diving header at the front post and then the looping header uh, back across goal that actually, yeah, like turned the game on its head. And I think, look, Lukaku has a great scoring record in his first season at Inter. I think it's equal only to the great Brazilian Ronaldo. Um, And that's great for him to be back on that those scoring terms but yeah I almost think Inter Milan maybe lost out on this the one thing I would say is and you'll probably enjoy this Christian Eriksen the first ever player to lose a Champions League final and the next year you lose a Europa League final yeah I mean you can't take the Spurs you can take the Spurs out of a player but not the no, you can take the player out of Spurs, but you can't take the Spurs out of player. There we go. <laughs> but then he's also he's also Danish, so I've got a bit of a soft spot oh, for him. He's probably the only Spurs player I did like. But there is an <laughs> there is an epic stat here that said um, Inter Milan conceded one headed goal in the entire Serie A this year, and they let in two tonight. Yeah, like that's that's uh, you know maybe. They put out a tweet as well. They said we've played fifty four matches in five different countries you know for this European competition Competition, that's a lot a lot of matches 54 we played 54 matches in 5 different countries celebrated 113 times and dreamt big for 361 days because I think they came through the qualifying for the Champions League yeah gosh 54 seems like a very large number but again like that might be their total number of games. No, because they would have played more in like the Coppa Italia. Even so, like I think that's what... Okay, like a very big number of games, but I think that's almost one of the great things about the Europa League, is that you do get teams from those perhaps like lesser elite countries of football levels anyway, that you actually get to go and play there. And I think that does more for football in those places than we'll perhaps ever appreciate. Okay, and then moving on to the NBA playoffs because two series are done. Yep. The Raptors have swept the Nets and subsequently 
the Nets, I mean, are looking at hiring Greg Popovich as their head coach, who's, yeah. you know, the famous Greg Popovich, which is something that Kevin Durant is very keen on reuniting with him. Um, but you, I mean, this is not the Nets that we want to see, is it? No, and I don't think it's the Nets that we are going to see, whether they end up convincing Popovich of of going to the Nets or not. It's a Nets that were without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, both like uh, championship winners in their own... Superstars. Yeah, in their own like regard. Um, and are very much the, like the next group of superstars that are teaming up together. Um, and I think you can very much expect to see the Nets be relevant in the playoffs next year. The only thing that you would say about these two players are they are both very injury prone. So like we've seen them struggle when they're on their own and they're two players that actually have always needed another superstar there to be successful. So it will be very interesting actually how much do we get to see them play together and can they like stay healthy and, and keep together. But again, like the good thing for the Raptors is they've got this done early. They know that Milwaukee will probably have already well, they've already played one more game. So I think like you said, they play the Celtics um in this conference semifinals on the twenty which starts on the twenty seventh the books will still be playing some of their first round games after that date on the 28th so there will come a time where they do get that rest period like we spoke about like with you wanting to finish those early rounds as quick as possible yeah and i mean i think i agree like it, it we've always said this is going to be about who can get the early rounds of the playoffs done soon yeah and conserve energy and maximise recovery time because you can't just sit at that intensity of playoff basketball and play all the time. You need to have you need to come down and then get yourself back up for, for the next series and yeah, the Raptors have put themselves in a great, great position. But I don't I'm not worried for the Nets, let's put it that way. Like no. the future is very bright for Brooklyn yeah. and as a Nets fan, which I am, um I'm I'm excited for the future. For some final like yeah. glory. <laughs> if I can if I can figure out a way to get myself to the Barclays Centre when it opens up, I'm gonna be very very happy. Right, moving on. The Celtics have swept the seventy sixers and it seems like the seventy sixers have kind of fallen apart. Yeah, I mean this was a group of players that we had it was like there was so much promise for and it was almost so uh, Joel Embiid who was the third pick in the 2014 draft, and Ben Simmons, who was the first overall pick in the 2016 draft. Both All-Stars. We kind of expected a lot to come like from this group, and they've never really had either a deep run in the playoffs or just dominated like we expected those two players to have. And it was almost a bit of a, like, okay, what do we do now? Do you trade one of them away and almost start again? Or do you, like go and try and find like another superstar but that didn't work last year yeah and I, I mean I, you know with Jimmy Butler having gone like it's it it is it a rebuild situation for the 76ers gosh I think it's hard to say with those names on the roster but like yeah the, the all I see popping up on my phone about the 76ers 
when I look at Bleacher Report is the culture's toxic and no one's liking it. You know, they're at each other's throats. Who's the leader? Yeah. What, what like, and that's not something that a good, like a good coach can come in and fix. No. That's something that you need to look at the whole thing and go, okay, let's break this down to build it back up again. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, Brent Brown, the head coach there, he's, he's good but it doesn't seem like they like you said they have something to like build around and and like build towards there's not the experience it doesn't seem to be in there to actually like almost drag those two younger stars who actually they aren't staying young like both had injury issues as well across the line a little bit and be like this is how it's done i've got you here once now you carry me and get me there a bit more often you know what i mean yeah Okay, and then moving on to teams that are still in the midst of playoff games because yep. those are the two um, sweeps that have happened and they, the Celtics and the Raptors will play each other in the conference semi-finals starting on the 27th of August. Quickly, you going Raptors still? Yeah, yeah. got to go Raptors. Well, I'll go that. Celtics then. I just, I'm quietly confident as well about the Celtics. I just think the Raptors... The Raptors to me looked... It to... Uh, it, and it's hard to say they haven't lost a step considering who they've lost but they I completely agree but they they, they look very composed for a team that won last year and has lost their superstar yeah I would say it just quickly they just look like a very very good team the only thing that they have lost is someone that always took the final shot yeah. you know like we haven't seen them in something close where it comes down to a buzzer beater and actually, who takes that? Who steps up? There will be someone, but can they step up? And that will be the interesting thing when it all gets close for the Raptors. Okay, well, then moving on to the Jazz, who are 3 1 up uh, on the Denver Nuggets after another, I mean, incredible game today. <laughs> we, we, we're sat here recording this on, on Monday evening, and the Utah Jazz won. 129 to 127. Donovan Mitchell scored 51 points. But, I mean, he barely outscored Jamal Murray, who scored 50 for Denver. And this is the first set of opponents to both score 50 points in an NBA playoff game. And they're both 23. Yeah, I mean... I mean, is this like... We we all we I think it's always we always fall into the trap of getting excited about the next draft class or the draft class that's just happened and oh what's the future of the NBA going to look like, but actually year two year three you're looking at you know that's the players that are still there and still taking those big moments in their stride they're the players that are going to be the future and it looks pretty bright for the yeah, NBA no, doesn't it for for sure a hundred percent like. I think, you know, we got very drawn into Zion this year and it is, like you said... I I I got very... I think all of basketball got drawn in (laughs) as someone as, uh, like, energetic and as dominant as Zion. But actually, like, we've seen over the past, like like you said, two, three, four years, players grow and, like, almost... Yeah, like you said, I mean, there's there's names here. So, like, Mitchell was drafted 13th in 2017, Murray 7th in 2016. We spoke about the Celtics very quickly, sweeping the 76ers. Jason Tatum, very much their superstar now. He was drafted 3rd in 2017. And we'll come on to our next star in a minute. But 
those players have certainly grown into their roles at their teams and are very much I think we think about, you know, LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, Steph Curry, they're probably James Harden, like they're probably your most people's top Giannis, top five, six players in the league, who are some getting older, some growing into those top players. But in two or three years' time when these guys have got five or six years under their belt, basketball is gonna be absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think I mean, I, I can't see Denver coming back. No. I just think 3-1 up, you're kind of going, okay, let's let's just, you know, and it's one in two is what we need to win. Yeah, exactly. And it's unique in the fact that normally if we were in a normal playoff series, Denver were the third seed, I think. So actually we would be going back to Denver for game five. And you'd expect, like, in that high altitude uh, arena. High, high, like, hype. Yeah, exactly. Like you'd expect this to be a game that would almost potentially turn it around. If you can go three two, try and get a win in game six back in Utah and then you come back to your own stadium for game seven, like that's incredible. Whereas actually now we're looking at everything's in the arena, you don't really have home games, you don't have away games, so actually once you get in a slump, it's quite hard to get out of Yeah. One. The momentum's hard to create, yeah. Create and break. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, but then moving on to uh, what, one of the players who is going to be uh, a bright talent for the future of the NBA, yeah, 100%. Uh, Luka Doncic, who was drafted third in 2018. And, and he took his Dallas Mavericks side to overtime on Sunday evening against uh, the LA Clippers. A 40-point triple-double and a buzzer-beater three-pointer on an ankle that he sprained less than 48 hours before. So first of all, let's break this down. Let's. What is a triple-double? So a triple-double is when you score uh, 10 points or more, you have 10 or more rebounds, 10 or more assists, like three uh, stat categories where you could do it. I mean, you could do it with 10 blocks or 10 steals, but predominantly your three most common categories are points, rebounds, and assists. Okay, and so it's, and it's in double figures. Yeah, and it's it's not rare, but it's also not not everyone gets them. There's a certain group in the NBA who are just incredible all-round players that are capable of doing such a thing. Okay, and so Luka Doncic scored forty points whilst you know getting a triple double. Yeah, and the last three of those points came in the dying seconds of the game. On an ankle that he sprained 48 hours before, and that's the bit that to me highlights just how exciting he is as a talent. Because you saw the amount of time, like especially watching the last dance when you got Jordan playing on what was called the flu game, but turned out to be dodgy pizza game. <laughs> like you know, you've got you've got players who can kind of just go. You know, there's time there's time for me to manage my load a little bit and maybe take a couple to get days off yeah. and there's a time for me to just stand up and be counted and be one of the guys that goes out there and takes the final shot unbelievable nerve under pressure there yeah I mean predominantly like not a great shooter in the final minute I think he's like 0 for 10 in the final minute of like games in the past but actually the Mavericks no, 1 for 11 <laughs> <laughs> the Mavericks didn't have Kristaps Porzingis in the game so actually I think he always felt like this is this is his team. 
and he needs to step up and this was very much his we all knew Doncic was a star this was his coming out party and almost a bit like I'm here to stay and I'm going to shine brightly especially against uh, Kawhi Leonard who predominantly gets most of the plaudits whenever he plays yeah so the series is now equaled at 2-2 and that I mean, it's hard to say that momentum shifted a bit towards Dallas, but this would be the mega upset, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it almost reminds you of the um, 2011 Dallas Mavericks, who ended up going on to win with Dirk Nowitzki. Um, Like, (laughs) I mean, Doncic, Slovenian, like, it's got that (laughs) Eastern European kind of, like, breed that the Mavericks just love. and and yeah, I think, you know, we just spoke about momentum being hard to shift and this felt like it was just something that we're, yeah, we're, we're looking at that actually, like you said, if the, the Clippers, I think, need to win game five, otherwise this could look like very scary for them. And looking at looking at the Clippers then, I mean, Paul George... I think we we saw Kawhi and Paul George almost teaming up to go to LA and like be the superstars together. At the moment, there's only one superstar in LA, yeah. and that's Kawhi. Like, it's just not been as explosive as you would hope, and he he would obviously hope it was. Yeah. But what I would say is this is a very strange time and a very strange situation to be trying to be a new explosive force in a in a team, like. Uh, I just I I can't see this staying like this for Paul George. No, I mean you hope that it doesn't for for all basketball fans and you know he his nickname is Playoff P so <laughs> he's got a bit of like history there especially when he was at the Indiana Pacers. Um yeah, you just for the Clippers sake he needs to come out of his shell a bit and just go out there and have an, have himself a night. It's the shooting where it is where the issue is. He's over the series. He's shot twenty for sixty nine, which includes the last two games shooting three for sixteen and three for fourteen. So it's just not. He's not. It's not like he's not getting shots up. They are just predominantly bricks. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, like you said, the Clippers need Paul George to to start performing if they want this to go their way. Especially like and like you said, like that Clippers starting lineup hasn't played like many minutes together, like full strength, all of them in there. So actually, we are seeing a very unique situation for them. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but the only way that you get through something like that is shoot through it. Yeah, 100%. like you've just kind of got to put yourself in that situation where you just got to miss, 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 and then suddenly you just start making them again, and like yeah. it's very hard. It's why it's so interesting to see playoff basketball come quite quickly for us after a time off. It's kind of like baseball, how we've said like you need to come out and come out hot. Oh yeah, for sure. In the same way, like there's not much time to shoot no. to shoot through a shooting slump if you're in the NBA playoffs. You've got to just be hot now, or you're going home. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. So looking forward to tonight's games then. The Bucks are going to play the Magic, and the Bucks are currently two one up. And I think this, is, I think the Magic have had their fun. I think the Bucks are going to probably. Yeah, I know. we mentioned one. it. I think it was last Monday where we expected 
both the Bucks and the Lakers to bounce back, and they have done so, and I think that that's kind of it now for both of them. Yeah, and the Lakers are going to play Portland uh, at 2 a.m. Tuesday morning for us here. Yeah. Um, they're 2-1 up against Portland. Obviously, there's a lot of emotion surrounding uh, the 24th of August, which is you know two numbers synonymous with Kobe Bryant, and it was yeah. Kobe Bryant's 42nd birthday the other day, and yeah. Nike have come out with a special advert regarding uh, Kobe. So I, I, I think it's it's one of those things that when it's an emotionally charged night like that, you usually get the result that you hope for, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, no, I agree. I think the Lakers will probably get this one done. I think what's good as well for the Lakers is like we saw Anthony Davis in Game 2 have himself a night, and then in Game 3, LeBron James have himself a night. I think it was 37 points, a real strong performance, and actually we're now starting to see those two fire, and when those two are aggressive and dominant, most games tend to go the Lakers' way. Yeah. Uh, the Heat can close out a sweep on the Pacers, the India, uh, the Indiana Pacers. And they're currently 3-0 up. Um, and the other game that's going to happen is uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are playing the Houston Rockets tonight at 9pm on uh, in the UK. Uh, that's currently 2-1 to the Rockets and I think probably going to get hot James Harden coming out now yeah it wouldn't surprise I mean that's the thing like we spoke about the streaky Rockets like you you do have a streaky I mean we call him streaky James Harden but he, he tends to always be hot um, but the the Thunder showed that when they do make big shots they are capable of competing and I think that that's the Thunder that we saw in game three and again like we could have ourselves a situation here if this is 2-2 like Game seven wouldn't be unlikely in my eyes, but if the Rockets do win uh, this game four, you could see that kind of being the end. Okay, then moving on to the NFL now, because I mean, there's been, this is an interesting story yeah. coming out of uh, a New Jersey lab, uh, which is one of the five labs used by the NFL to test coronavirus. And it turns out there have been 77 false positive tests after a contamination during test preparation. So teams including the Browns, the Bears, the Bills... uh, Sorry, let's start again. So teams including the uh, Cleveland Browns, the Chicago Bears, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Minnesota Vikings have all experienced positive tests... So they closed their facilities, but then the NFL announced they were all false positives. All the 77 tests were rerun, and they came back negative. So the good thing is that we're not having a whole spate of players testing positive. Yeah. And it's the other thing that I, I think is a positive is that seeing these leagues working through difficult situations like this puts more faith in the system that it's working yeah i mean for sure like even with baseball like this i think this is like the first week where we've not really had any big news about either a team having a lot of players contract coronavirus in in baseball and also like we spoke about i think it was on august the 14th that actually it was only 0.45 percent of NFL players that had actually tested positive so I think we are in a very good position with this and it seems to be working which is 
great right now because all teams are have started their preseason camps and actually we're not that far away from the season beginning and if something breaks out now then that's almost the worst time for it to happen yeah okay and then i mean a daily testing will continue until at least september the 5th and the season starts on the 10th uh with the houston texans visiting the kansas city chiefs so after that it'll go to a sort of um i think it's like a, is it bi-weekly yeah i think so i think by then they almost expect teams to be in control of the situation i think it might be that like after games they test but you obviously have to wait for the contamination period and and all like that because actually this will be the first time that we'll have not bubbles but mini kind of bubbles crossing over and we'll see how actually you know we've spoken about offensive linemen against defensive linemen or safety or you know cornerbacks lined up against wide receivers how that affects that close contact and uh you know interface um like how that affects the coronavirus yeah and then like looking at looking at some more football specific news yeah um the baltimore ravens have released uh safety and former legion of boom member earl thomas uh for personal conduct adversely affecting the team after uh, essentially a punch up with a teammate over yeah. a missed over a blown coverage they in like training like the word altercation don't they yeah <laughs> yeah um but i mean looking looking a little bit scratching the surface a little bit more and looking a little bit deeper you see that there you know there were complaints from different players about personal conduct throughout Earl Thomas's time in Baltimore turning up late missing walkthroughs those kind of things so you know i think it's uh, it's a difficult situation for Baltimore, but they've managed to cut him or get rid of him in a, in a situation that is justifiable to fans because he is such a good player. And if it was just, you know, if it was a private bust up, it would be very hard to justify. Yeah, I think the big thing with Baltimore is that they pride themselves on being like almost a culture. And I think when you have someone disrupting that culture, actually, it is important to. Um, to remove those players. What was interesting as to whether they were going to wait and trade him or whether releasing him was the best thing to do. And obviously they decided to release him. Um, and they don't also, I don't think they take the hit of his 10 million salary cap hit. Which is useful if you're Baltimore yeah, because you can try. quite significant. Um, yeah. And it means that actually then going into negotiations, Earl Thomas is in a unique situation where he now has to renegotiate a contract as to okay, what is he worth now? Yeah. I mean, the Cowboys are favourites to sign him, uh, but apparently the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers are also linked to him. I mean, that San Francisco defence would be uh, formidable with him, and it would mean a, a, a sort of um, re- reunion yeah, with, with Richard, Richard Sherman. Sherman. Yeah. Uh, which I'd be interested to see, but... And I think a team that almost, okay, if he has these problems with culture or like buying into something, which is a surprise because Baltimore were convincingly good last year, actually going somewhere like that where he might have someone that can just ground him a little bit and then get back to his playing ways because when he plays, he's very, very good. Very, very good. Um, yeah, I think I think he will probably end up in Dallas because they've just uh, they cut... Gerard McCoy. Gerard McCoy because of a quad strain. Yeah. 
um, which they were allowed to do based in his contract. So they've got a bit of wiggle room on it on on cap space, and it seems like Dallas is one of those play, places that because you're on TV, because Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and the general manager, is so good at negotiating contracts and deals and things like that. The Cowboys are always on national TV. And so actually as a player, if you want to go anywhere, most people want to go to Dallas because it's amazing for your brand. It's well that and almost like if you do end up signing one of these one-year deals, it's great for your spotlight to actually you you almost get the most film out of anyone. Obviously all games are televised one way or another. But actually, for everyone to see, it almost hypes you up a little bit if you do get some good performances. Okay, and then coming on to the uh, Major League Baseball now, and we're at the halfway mark in the season. Um, we we spoke last time about the Cubs having the best record in baseball, but now we've got... Um, Another front runner, don't we? The LA Dodgers in the National League West are the first team to 20 wins. They're now on 22, and they've got the best record in baseball with uh, 22 wins, 8 losses, and a win percentage of 73%. Um, the Oakland A's of the American League West are the only other team with 20 wins, and both teams, I think, are doing this, and I think Jamie would agree with us, doing this because they got deep deep pitching rosters yeah very much so and I think it's not just like deep with numbers it's deep with quality I think especially the Dodgers like it just you you almost okay like with most teams like you might get like a good starting pitcher and then an a decent reliever and then actually you're into like, obviously they're all good but like you're then not of great quality whereas actually the Dodgers could almost the two relievers that they bring in potentially in a game could start elsewhere. Like that's the kind of quality we're start, we're we're talking about, and yeah, just just look real deep and and just real strong. Um, you know, don't have trouble scoring runs, which is obviously ideal, and don't off what well, don't often give runs away, which is, I mean, how you win baseball games really. Um. And and so yeah, I think I think it's going to be a situation where those we've always said those teams that can spring out to an early quick advantage are going to be in the best shape because they can then start to look to the postseason and not scramble to get in it. Uh, we've got to include uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Minnesota Twins as well, who are on nineteen games and ten losses, so a couple of games back, but. You know, definitely, definitely in the playoff mix. But I think the other thing that we need to talk about is this sort of baseball's a, a sport where there are quite a few unwritten sort of rules. They're now they're tough to police. You know, in the same way that we've spoken about the Houston Astros scandal with yeah. the with the uh, using artificial intelligence to steal signs. Another unwritten rule sort of came under scrutiny last week. So. Ollie, what happened uh, in the Texas Rangers against San Diego Padres' eighth inning? So this is all surrounding uh, a particular, like, he. if we talk about streaky players, boy, is he on a streak at the moment. Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, he hit a home run last Monday 
off a pitch whilst up 3-0 and the bases were loaded. Now, to kind of explain this, the Texas Rangers pitcher had thrown three balls. Now, usually when this happens, it's kind of a bit of an unwritten rule that the next ball is obviously going to be a strike straight down the middle to ensure that he doesn't give up a walk. When you know this is coming, you're supposed to leave it and almost get the like um, balls to strikes ratio batter back at a fair position. Now the reason this is what you do is because the Padres were already up 10-3 and the bases were loaded. So Tatis knew this strike was coming straight down the middle, swung on it. Apparently you're not supposed to. This unwritten rule goes for a home run. The Padres then end up scoring four runs off that ball and quite a lot of controversy came from it. Yeah, and then it's it, it seems like a very sort of... Um, oh, what's the phrase? Childish. Childish, but um, <laughs> honour amongst thieves. Yeah. Because then there's a, there's a sort of unwritten rule that if you do that, if you get yourself in that situation then it's kind of fair game to hit the next uh, hitter with a pitch. <laughs> yeah. Which obviously uh, the Rangers did. And they, they threw the next pitch behind Manny Machado. But, I mean, the, the relief pitcher, Ian Gibbo was then suspended for three games. It just seems like that was a whole unnecessary altercation. Yeah, I think there's one thing like doing what Tatis Jr. did but actually the next thing is then responding to it and almost like trying to live by these unwritten rules I think there are people that try and hold themselves to these rules like they're almost baseball's elite and I think actually more and more like we've seen in this unique season that we're in at the moment baseball norms and expectations and traditions are being challenged every day and this was just actually this almost got more support than it did ridicule it almost brought into light these unwritten rules that then we all thought, actually, these are absolutely ridiculous. We just need to ignore these and start swinging on basically all pitches. Like, if you get yourself in a position where you're down three balls, that's your problem. Yeah. Deal with it. If you get swung on it and you're going to throw a strike right down the middle just to be safe, well, most times you're going to get hit yard. I mean, yeah, it just it seems like a very odd thing to be uh getting getting sort of um caught up about in the current situation where it's like baseball are still trying to string together enough games that yeah. you know, it's not good press for baseball to be having. No, but it's almost refreshing. It's nice to talk about something else in baseball other than coronavirus. It's and a shame Rob Manfred getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it's a shame that it's this and actually they got punished more than the Astros did. And I think with everything that happens in baseball at the moment, we always can come back to the Astros and how much they got punished for what they did and they didn't get punished. And actually then it almost makes a laughing stock out of like these kinds of things. Yeah. But I mean, looking looking at the season as a whole, I think we are yeah, halfway through the season. Uh, Positive about it. 30 games in. I think baseball... It's safe to say they had a fair few teething problems at the start of the uh, at the start of the season, and they have worked themselves through it. I wouldn't say in particularly 
smart or fast fashion. No. But they have. It seems they have got a handle now on how to get a baseball season off in the, in this in this difficult time, and and we just hope that it continues all the way through to the playoffs. Yeah, and we can now actually start to almost look forward to the playoffs. I feel like there's a bit of a rhythm there now going, and we can start to look forward to the playoffs and focus on the baseball as opposed yeah, to the off-field stuff. 100% and that's all that we ever want to do with sports. Right, so thank you very much for listening to that episode of the J-Rod Sports Pod. Uh, as I mentioned last time, the Formula One had a weekend off this weekend, so Sam Corti has been given the week off by Ollie and I, uh, hopefully to do some research on Spa-Francorchamps, but having seen the notes that Sam produces before and after each race I'm sure she will produce very good information for our next um, podcast apparently 100% rain for something which is going to make it very exciting <laughs> um, but please make sure that you look out and listen to our episode on Friday where we're going to be looking back on the next round of uh, the NBA playoff games that have happened through the week as long as catching up on any other news and headlines that happen but until then please make sure that you subscribe Follow us on social media and let us know if there's anything you want to hear.